0: So this morning, uh, we're continuing our little series in Romans, and uh, we're going to turn to Romans 8 now. It's one of the most uh, familiar, one of the most loved uh, chapters of the Bible, Um, and uh, so the danger with that is that we are too familiar with it and perhaps miss what is being said. So if you've got a Bible, that's great. It's going to appear on the screen. Romans 8, verses 1 to 13. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's a huge chapter. Um, quite often, when people preach through it, they'll break it up into lots of little bits, and we're going to go racing through uh, verses 1 to 13. And uh, so, we could be here a couple of hours. Uh, but I'm, I know you, you people have stamina. Um, I'm trying to break this up into something. Uh, That is manageable and something memorable. And uh, the headings I've come up with are these Um, Everything has changed. God has done it. You can walk it. It's a new way of living. What you think matters. You are not alone. And it's not an option. The context of Romans 8, well, it immediately follows Romans 7. If you looked in Romans 7, you would see that the dominant theme in, in Romans 7 is I. I, 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 Just look through it. Count the I's. The dominant theme, 24 times, I think, in Romans 8 is The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. But actually Romans 7 isn't the context for Romans 8. I know it precedes it. But Romans 7 and Romans 6 is like a parenthesis where Paul is dealing with some issues uh, that come up out of things he's said before. So the context goes back even further. And so we have to look at Romans 5, verse 1, to find out what the therefore in Romans 8, verse 1, is therefore. And the problem with that is that there's another therefore. So the context takes us back even further uh, to the beginning of the gospel. And just to recap, um, this gospel, Paul says he's not ashamed of it because it is the power of God for salvation. We were hearing about God saving earlier. Hosanna, Yeah. Only one, you alone can rescue, we sing. Um, God has come, and he has come to save. And this is good news. And so if you weren't jumping when we were singing Happy Day earlier, I hope by the end you'll be jumping when we sing it again at the end. Okay. <laughs> so the Gospel, um, Romans 1-4, to talks about our sin God's judgment on us, and God's righteousness. But God's righteousness isn't just bad news, it's actually good news. Because God's righteousness is about God's righteousness in making unrighteous people righteous. It's about God's faithfulness in granting faith to unfaithful people. Or God justly justifying the unjust Um, and the big thing is it's all of grace it's all a gift it's all unmerited and it's all what god has done i just want us to pop back to romans 5 because romans 8 is really an exposition of romans 5 and uh, we've already preached through that but it'd be good just to remind ourselves uh, romans chapter 5 verse 1 And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous man Though perhaps for a good person, one would possibly dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God therefore there is now no condemnation big theme of Romans chapter 8 is assurance to be confident to be full of hope to know that this is true of you it's to know that there is no condemnation and that there is no separation. Those are the big themes. Everything has changed. There is therefore now no condemnation. Now. What's now? Is it now that I'm a Christian? Well, that's certainly true. But no, it's now that Jesus has died and he has risen and he has ascended on high. There is now no condemnation. And there is no condemnation. That's absolute. It doesn't leave the door open to anything. There is no Condemnation. What is condemnation? Well, we talk about uh, the condemned man or the condemned cell. uh, And in parts of the world, we've now extended that not to just be a few hours, but now it's uh, years. Uh, Death row is to be, to be on death row is to be condemned. To be one who's facing death because of something you have been found guilty of doing. Now, in John's Gospel, uh, Jesus is met one night by Nicodemus. And uh, we're going to look at that in a little bit later if we have time. But one of the things that comes out of that is that our natural state is that we are under condemnation. Uh, whoever has not believed stands condemned already so our natural condition is one of condemnation we are on death row or if you want to change the picture it's of a building that has been found to be dangerous uh, it still stood there but there's lots of yellow tape around it saying do not cross danger keep out condemned and uh, All that is certain for that building is that one day it will be demolished. Uh, It is unsafe. It is condemned. And condemnation is the opposite of justification. Justification is a legal term, a forensic term. It's when somebody is declared to be righteous, to be without blame, to be spotless. And because Jesus has died in the place of his people, because he took what was coming to them, there can be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we've been singing about Christ Jesus a lot this morning, and that's only right um, I don't know, uh, when you watch the telly, are you at all like me? Uh, I, I sometimes watch the telly. I love you know, documentaries. I love you know, uh, news programs, all those sort of things. Really into Brian Cox's stuff, except a lot of the time I end up shouting at the television. <coughs> I don't know, do you? I shout at the television. No, that's not right. Well, there was a very sober period, 2001. I remember where we were in a restaurant... Uh, on the 11th of September. And I remember seeing... that We were in a, in, a, in a little restaurant. I remember seeing the waiters all huddled up in the corner talking about something. And then I had a phone call from somebody at work explaining that a plane had gone into, uh, into one of the, the Twin Towers. And uh, we went home and watched on TV as the news was unfolding. And, and a short while after 9-11, there was an interfaith service held at ground zero, and they quoted from Romans chapter 8. For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Period. And I shouted at the television, In Christ Jesus! Romans 8 cannot be used as a multi-faith scripture because it ends, as it begins, with Christ Jesus. That scripture means nothing. Nothing at all. It's just pie in the sky, wishful thinking, without the certainty of who it's in. It's in Christ Jesus And there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the big question we have to face is, am I in Christ Jesus? When Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of heaven. The big question for you this morning is Am I born again? Am I in Christ Jesus? I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but if you want to talk about that afterwards, if you want to know what it is to be born again and to be in Christ Jesus, come and talk afterwards. I'm happy to do that. The thing is, in Paul's letter, he assumes his readers are. So I want to continue in that way everything has changed you've changed from one realm to another the realm of the spirit of life has set you free from the realm of sin and death that's what uh, a sense of the word law there Uh, Paul actually plays with the word law quite a lot in, in this letter And and here he's talking about a principle, um, a jurisdiction, um, a kingdom even. It's a bit like the laws of physics. The, 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 The realm of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there is no freedom. From the law, the realm of sin and death. So there are two laws, two realms, the spirit of life and sin and death. And just to show some of the things he's saying in Romans, I've got this little table here. I hope you can see that. Um, That before you were in Adam. That's the category he says. He says we have all sinned uh, because we are in Adam. And there is a realm... There is a headship that Adam brings that we are all born into, even Judah. We're all born into that. And because of that, we are all naturally in the realm of sin and death and under condemnation. And we are under God's law. God's law speaks to us and it shows us where we are wrong. We're in the realm of the flesh. And as far as God's concerned, we are hostile to him. And we are his enemies. I don't don't know if you feel that's a bit strong, but that is what God's word says. If you are not in Jesus, if you're not in Jesus this morning, if you're not born again this morning, you are God's enemy. There's no easy way to tell you that. And the gospel comes to you and it says be reconciled to God we implore you on behalf of Jesus right now be reconciled to God because apart from that you're his enemy and the worst thing is yet to come it's not just now it's forever but to be in Christ to be in Christ Jesus instead of being condemned is to be justified declared blameless it's to be accepted by God on the basis of grace not on the basis of law that I cannot keep it's to know the rule of the spirit of life in my life it's to be in the realm of the spirit not the flesh and it's to know God as a father who is pleased with us I don't know, did you come here this morning thinking, you know, I, I'm not sure, I mean, God might accept me, he might not zap me as I come through the door. Um, but i just keep my head down, stay at the back. No, if you're in Christ, God is pleased with you this morning. And you have eternal life. And how, but how can you be sure of all of this? You have moved from one domain into the other. Now, as uh, Jonathan pointed out, you can't be in both domains at the same time. Uh, In fact, uh, Paul says that's like adultery to try and be uh, in both domains at the time, but you can't. I don't know if you've ever uh, been on a boat on the river. And uh, there's that moment where you step from the domain of the shore into the domain of the boat. And if it goes wrong, <laughs> you end up doing the splits and then you're in the water. You cannot be in both domains at the same time. You're either in one or the other. And actually, uh, I think it's true from what, what Paul says about marriage and so on. Uh, what he says is you can't be uh, in the domain of the flesh, and, well, married to um, the law and then married to Christ. You can't do that. Uh, but in the same way, you can't go back. <laughs> having been joined to Christ, having been put in Christ, you can't go back. Um, to try to do that would be, again, adultery. It would be saying, Jesus, I don't think you're enough. I think there's something else that I need that's more attractive than you. And that's the law. That's not possible. Surely not. God has done it. He's done what the law couldn't do for us. Verse 3 says, The law weakened by the... A lot of Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 is to try and show us actually that the law is good and perfect. Um, But when we mix the law with our flesh, with our weakness, it can't achieve anything. Um, Arnold Bell, um, who who passed away recently, uh, but one of the teachers of New Frontiers uh, right from the beginning... Uh, uses this illustration of a garden spade with a strong metal blade and a wooden handle that has rotted, that is weak. There's nothing wrong with the blade, but when I try to dig hard ground with such a spade, the weakness of the flesh, the handle, the rotten handle, breaks. There's nothing wrong with the blade but it's useless. It can't achieve anything. Or the law is like a plumb line. I don't know if you've ever done uh, decorating uh, where you need to get the line of your wallpaper straight and you use a plumb line. And uh, it's a weight, uh, fancy shape usually with a little arrow on it, a little point to show you where true down is. Uh, And it's a thin piece of string, a nice clean piece of string that you can draw a line down or you can measure And the law is like a plumb line. You put it up to someone's life and it shows you how crooked they are. But you can't hang anything on a plumb line. It will snap. It's great at showing where the problem is, but it does nothing to help the problem. So the law comes to us and it says, you're broken, you can't do it, It's not good enough. You're condemned. But the law doesn't lift a finger to help us. But what the law couldn't do, God did. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Sinful flesh... It's the weakness of our condition. Um, But when Jesus came, he took on our flesh, but he didn't take on our sin. This is why Paul says, made in the likeness of sinful flesh. So when Jesus came, he came and took on our nature, and he can sympathize with all our weakness, we're told. But he was without sin. And he came for sin, perhaps even as a sin offering is intended in there. He came as flesh, but not sinful, for sin, to be an offering for sin. Now, if you thought the law was a problem, if you thought the plumb line of the law was difficult to measure up to, what about Jesus? He condemned sin In the flesh. Now he didn't come to condemn us. But his life does condemn us. Because he took the perfect law. The perfect good, holy, right law. And he lived it perfectly. John says that where the light shines... It exposes the darkness. And what we see is that when Jesus lived among men, they hated him because their deeds were evil. So Jesus came and he took on the likeness of human flesh for sin and he condemned sin in the flesh. Who can convict me of sin, he said. But because of what he's done... You can walk it. You can walk it. Interesting, isn't it? Paul uses the term walk to show that there is direction and there's motion. Uh, But the reason that Jesus came was so that, in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled not might in a hypothetical sense, but that it would be fulfilled. So Jesus came so that the righteous, for the righteous requirement of the law, we could do it. Wow. And there are two dimensions to this. There's a sense in which we're counted as having done it because we are in Christ That is justification. That is what we call imputed righteousness. That is Jesus' righteousness counted to us. You have done it if you're in Christ. You have kept the righteous requirements of the law if you're in Jesus. You are justified. That's why there's no condemnation. But the other dimension of this is so that you can do it. You can walk in it. Before, when you were in Adam, when you were under condemnation, you couldn't do it. The law came to you and said, this is perfect. And you said, yeah, I agree. You're right. But I can't do it. And the law said, and I can do nothing to help you. But God did it by sending Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh to be an offering for sin. To meet the requirement of the law so that we can now a man who's on condemned sentence that man who's on death row doesn't think about what he can do because as far as he's concerned he doesn't have a future but to hear the pronouncement no condemnation should lift your head scriptures are full of references to the lord the lifter of my head. And so this scripture comes to you and it says there's no condemnation. Jesus has done it for you in your place and he enables you to do it. What you couldn't do before, you can do now. Because he has done it. You can walk in it. It's possible. There's a little saying in business, isn't it? Aim at nothing, and you're sure to hit it. Aim at nothing, and you're sure to hit it. Now, you're to go from here. If you're in Christ, you're to go from here saying, I can keep the law, because Christ has enabled me. I'm no longer in Adam. I am in Christ. My expectation is that I can obey. And Paul will say elsewhere that his grace is sufficient for you. And that no temptation has come that you cannot conquer through him. All right, so we know the reality. We're going to go home and kick the cat. No, not even the dog. Our natural state now that we are in Christ is to meet the requirement of the law. And that's called sanctification. And it's a process. And it's something that we begin now. You see, in chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes it is power for salvation salvation means a change yeah. salvation means rescue altered states new circumstances new life salvation is redemption from sin and its consequences so you should go from here knowing that you can walk in it. And as far as God is concerned, you are walking in it because you are in Christ Jesus. It's a new way of living. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. If you want to live... According to the flesh, then Romans seven is for you, wretched man that I am. And that will be your testimony for the rest of your life, wretched man or woman that I am. But Paul is holding out something new. He's holding out something better. He's saying, "If you live according to the flesh, your mind will be on the things of the flesh, but you can live according to the Spirit, with your minds on the things." of the spirit Galatians 5 verse 16 if I but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is? You know that. You can do it. It's an expectation. You can do it. It's a new way of living because of a new way of thinking. Uh, I think we already had this in some of the worship It came out in the prayer, um, or at least alluded to. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That's great. How? By the renewing of your minds. Romans 12 Verse 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But if you're in the Spirit, you can please God. The mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. And even when hardship comes, faith comes and says that that is just light and momentary trials. That's what Paul says. If you think you've had a hard day, go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and compare yourself with Paul and then shut up. (laughs) The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So, Brian Cox has got a lovely face and he tells some lovely stories and he shows us the beauty of creation but he is hostile to God. He doesn't submit to God's law because he cannot. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, there's a famous two guys in history called William. William Wilberforce and William Pitt. And and they were great friends. And William Wilberforce was uh, the guy who pushed for the abolition of slavery. And, and he... Uh, died just days within it happening it was amazing testimony worked for years and years and years for this to happen and his great friend was the prime minister william pitt the two williams uh, now william wilberforce loved jesus and followed him and that's what motivated him in his fight against slavery uh, we, i think some of us watched it together he, he it was amazing grace the film and uh, he was a friend of John Newton and so on. And William Pitt was a good friend of his and could see the rightness of what he was doing and supported him. But William Pitt was not a believer. And uh, there was a day uh, when Wilberforce, who often was trying to encourage his friend to think about Jesus, uh, there was a day when, when William Pitt agreed to come and hear uh, a preacher preach the gospel. And uh, so they were there together, and it was a brilliant sermon, not like this morning. It was very clear, very short and to the point, and, and it was very clear what the gospel was and how marvelous Jesus was. And William Wilberforce was sitting there thinking, this is brilliant, I'm just so glad he's here. I wonder what my friend William Pitt has made of this. And he didn't have to wait long, because on the way out, William Pitt said, I have no idea what that was all about. You see, we cannot submit to God's law in our natural state if we're in Adam. We cannot. It's foolishness to us. Paul says that elsewhere about the gospel. He says about things being spiritually discerned. And and you can be in the hearing. Two people can be in the hearing of the gospel and one can turn to Christ, and the other one, it means nothing. And if you want an illustration of that, we go to Luke's Gospel, and we see the death of Jesus on the cross, and two men crucified with him, one on his left and one on his right. They both hear and they see the same events. And one of them, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, and the other man dies still condemned, and in Adam those who are the flesh cannot please God so we as a church should be different we should not be like the world in our thinking the way we interact with each other should be different to the world we live by the spirit not according to To the flesh. Now, there are lots of things that we do that we say, well, that's just common sense. Oh, really? Uh, We talk about wisdom, or more correctly, worldly wisdom. I want to turn briefly to Mark chapter 8. And here we have uh, an amazing time in Mark's Gospel where Peter has just understood who Jesus is. He's understood that Jesus is the Christ. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, it says And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter, remember, Peter has just said, You are the Christ. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Matthew chapter 16, a parallel passage, it says, uh, this will never happen to you. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. It's possible for somebody to be very close to Jesus, to be a friend of his, and yet to get this completely wrong. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. See, Peter's wisdom, worldly wisdom, common sense, is it's not a good idea to go up to Jerusalem just now, because if they're going to kill you well we just don't go is what Peter's saying it's a wise safe thing that's what they would tell you to do isn't it if you went down to the Citizens Advice Bureau you say well you know I'm thinking of going up to Jerusalem but they're going to kill me and the Citizens Advice Bureau would probably say well don't go then and that's all Peter is doing he's not being particularly wicked he's not being evil he just doesn't have in mind the things of God he's just thinking like a man and we have to be very careful that we don't think like men in the church because it might sound good it might make good business sense it might be what we can do in the boardroom it might be what we would do in school it might be what they would advise you to do on television or on a phone in program but that's the things of men and the things of God a very different and Jesus sees that as a really big issue he says to Peter his best friend get behind me Satan now we have to be ruthless with the flesh what you think matters so what do you fill your mind with what do you spend your time reading? What do you spend your time listening to? What do you spend your time watching? I love music. I love reading. I love, I'm a very slow reader. Um, I love the radio. Radio 4, of course. <coughs> I love watching Brian Cox and Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough and David Attenborough. You're far too young. Um, I like Thomas the Tank Engine as well. (laughs) In small, very small doses. But what we fill our minds with, what do we fill our minds with? What we fill our minds with affects our thinking. And the way we think fills the way we live. And it's not about, you know, if you're struggling with a particular sin, it's not about spending lots of time thinking about that. It's finding something else to displace it. Um, jumping off piece a bit here. Let's go to Philippians 4. very well-known passage. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 4. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, that's a mind thing isn't it, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We were talking about it this morning. You come here with concerns and worries. What should you do? You should worship God. Why? Because you should. Because it's right that you should. But also because it is going to displace the thing that is dragging you down. There's a brilliant sermon written ages ago by a Puritan guy called Thomas Chalmers. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. What it means is think of something new and that old thing will go away. So one of the ways that we can help ourselves in this and training our minds to think properly so that we live properly is to think about good things. And what's the most excellent thing we can think about? Jesus. Brilliant. I think more than turn off your TV, Philippians 4, is saying, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and you can answer, what is the most honorable true just, pure lovely, commendable yeah, there are lots of good things but there is one who is supremely lovely and pure and honourable and just and commendable and excellent. And that is Jesus. Expel those dark thoughts with thoughts of Jesus. Think differently. Fill your mind with the things of the Spirit. You're not alone. you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of god dwells in you now when it says if in fact he uh, doesn't mean uh, if that's true of you maybe he means since if as is the case the spirit of god dwells in you you are in the spirit that's interesting isn't it you are in the spirit and he dwells in you It's togetherness. It's partnership. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But, if, as is the case with you, Christ is in you, oh, Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Christ in me Christ in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory. He's everything. Brilliant song to use then. Thank you. That was such a helpful song. Let Jesus be everything. And then you'll realize that he is in you and you are in him. It's the work of the spirit within you to convince you that you are in him. And we're going to hopefully look at that next week but that you are not alone even when you are all on your own and you haven't seen a christian friend for weeks if you are in christ you are not alone one person and god is a majority Mm -hmm. in any situation In the worship, I didn't bring it because I wanted to encourage everyone else to bring, but one of the names of God is the God of armies, the God of hosts. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he is the God of armies. So if you're with him, if you're in him, he is in you. The God of hosts is with us, the God of jacob is our refuge psalm 46 and this is again what jesus appeals to he says abide in me but he also says if you love me and keep my commandments the father and i will come and make our home with you christ in me the hope the hope the hope of glory. There is no condemnation and there is no separation. But just to be clear, it's not an option. This isn't a sort of uh, come and pick and mix salvation. I'll have a bit of works and I'll have a little bit of Jesus. I'll have a bit of lively worship and then I'll go out there and I'll prove to God that I'm worth it. It's not an option. Turning from sin and putting to death the flesh is not an option. It's an obligation. It says it there. Verse 12, Brothers, we are debtors. And guess what? This is a debt that doesn't go away. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. But then you're indebted to that freedom. You would never move out of that boat once you're safely in it. Why would you ever want to do the splits? Why would you ever want to? You are indebted. You are obliged. It is essential that you live by the spirit according to the spirit in the spirit not according to the flesh you are wonderfully secure there is no condemnation and there will be no separation but there's no room for complacency either what glorifies jesus most is when the thing he came to do we do he came to make the righteous requirement of the law visible in us. And that's what we must do. So, if we just pop back to Mark chapter 8. Remember, Peter has been really told off by Jesus for thinking in the way that the world thinks. And in verse 34... I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been told off in front of other people. That's um, exactly what happens to Peter here. It's not a pleasant thing. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in his glory with his Father's holy angels? It's not an option, you see. Jesus is calling you to come and to die, um, but it's the most glorious death because the only bit of you that needs sorting out is your body, and that will be sorted out. The one thing that is going to die is your body. But it says in verse 11, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, you don't owe your body anything. Paul says exercise. Yeah, it's okay a little bit. But you don't owe anything. Your body, and in another sense, Paul is calling us to starve our bodies and to not pander them, to not give in to what they want. Our flesh is going to drag us down, so we're not to pamper our flesh, we're not going to feed its desires, we're going to fill our minds with Jesus. We're going to fill our hearts with him. We're going to dispel everything else. It's not an option. It's not an option. Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's new. It's different. It's not an option, because without it, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation, for change. Save through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're still under condemnation, God calls everyone, everywhere to repent. And he promises that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no condemnation. I think it's time to celebrate. Happy day.